Welcome to episode eight of Adventure Roast, making venture great again. This podcast was originally designed to poke fun at all the hypocrisy behind tech and venture capital, but ended up morphing into really this platform around venture 3.0 and what needs to happen to become venture 3.0. And I feel very fortunate to have Nitin Pachicia from Unshackled Ventures here with us today. I've known Nitin for a really long time and we're fortunate to have him on the podcast. I have some sense of of what you what the origin of this this podcast was, which is kind of fascinating that you were trying to give the the VC the anonymous VC Twitter accounts a voice through this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that's that's a great starting point. I like podcasts that are just not about tell me how smart you are. Like nobody's pitching, nobody's trying to like outsmart each other. It's just a conversation, but from that conversation comes out great perspectives. That's exactly right. And that's the spirit of the podcast. You know, I feel very fortunate to consider you both a friend and mentor over the last four years. And, you know, like, but that's a very one-on-one relationship. And so like one of the best things about this podcast is that I get to expand that mentorship from our one-to-one relationship to one-to-many relationship. And so, you know, when we talk about democratizing this very black box adventure, you know, we have this platform now and these podcasts to be able to like expand the scope of the mentorship I feel very fortunate to have received. And so that's kind of one of the biggest perks that I've kind of noticed as the podcast trends away from what the fuck is venture doing to like, how do we actionably make venture better? That's kind of the biggest takeaway we've gotten so far. Kind of cool. Yeah. So and that's the right approach. Like, you know, just whining about something that's wrong makes no sense. Right. You, exactly. You, you got to do something about it. That's right. You know, I didn't want to reach out to you to do an episode until I really felt like, I had kind of gotten a flow down because what you guys are doing at Shackled is really important for the future of technology and venture and, and how you guys empower typically disenfranchised communities. You're too kind, but um, you know, we'll, we'll, I, I'm sure you have a, a lot more very impactful guests coming up. And you know, we, we talked briefly about some of those folks. And I really think there's a lot of really smart and not just smart from a you know skill set perspective or, or academic standpoint, but smart investors and smart impact makers in the industry now. And I think this is just a change in the last three, four years. It was a very homogeneous type of industry until then, but there's some really good, really good changes happening. And if we take our firm as an example, you know, Munan and I, two dudes started the firm and we didn't really sort of think about specifically we have to hire a certain type of person for you know as we started building our team but just as we looked for the best talent available the rest of our team now are all females it's you know maria sarah Faye, imani it's not by design it's it's not because of anything else it's just we're looking for the best talent in the market and I tell you, you're going to be hearing a lot about them in the years to come. Well, so it's so funny. So Maria and I were in the same class of venture. And so when I say class of venture, venture is kind of like because all the firms are basically their own silos. And so the junior people in venture, basically, I always described it as their own class where they all kind of join around the same time, whether it's February or September. And Maria was in the same class as me in venture where we kind of joined venture around the same time. And so, you know, I've feel very fortunate to have seen her progress in, along her journey with you all. And she's just such a rock star. She's really I, I, didn't, I didn't even know there was this terminology about class of venture. I just learned something. Well, I never, I don't know if that's like a formal <laughs> thing. I just have always kind of 
I've always described it like that, where it's like, because you all start at like the same time, basically, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so you like have your peer group from when you started. And so it's it, it basically mimics a class. And so because venture is like such a silo, you learn a lot from your peers. There's a lot of knowledge share across firms. And so she, she was in what I would consider my quote unquote class. And so she's just so great. So we both two fans of her. She, uh, she is she she is like single-handedly responsible for our scaling to a point where we can evaluate 2000 investment opportunities a year now wow like, that's amazing she, she's just phenomenal and so are her friends anyone i've met who she respects so she's a very strong people filter she does not surround her with just average people the way she networks, the way she builds relationships, and, and the way she qualifies people, it, it's mind-blowing. Like, I wish I was that smart when I was that young. <laughs> and now you get all the benefit of working with her, right? So that, it's... That's the only right thing I've done to bring <laughs> on Manan as co-founder and hire Marie early on. <laughs> that's hilarious. That is so funny to me. Well, let's just dig right in. I, if you're open to it, I'd love to get your intro and some background on Unshackled. You obviously founded the firm with Monon a few years ago and, and you know, maybe in, in your introduction and in the journey of Unshackled, maybe just talk about how you also founded the firm, how it came to be. Cool. Well, thanks, Nathaniel. Thanks for having me on. My name is Nathan Patricia with Unshackled Ventures. I started the firm in 2014 with Monon. Uh, I'm an immigrant myself and, you know, Monon started a company with immigrants. We both went through the experience of building startups or trying to build startups when you're on Visa and found that VCs really hadn't solved this equation for founders, despite a lot of other resources available to make the journey easier for portfolio companies. And we thought that was a missed opportunity in one way, and it was an inefficiency for the founders themselves. So we we built Unshackled to really be the best place for immigrant founders in the US to start their companies. The approach we take is look at immigration not as a bottleneck, but as something that can be done by VCs to help their founders move faster. And uh, so we took that as the first thing to take off the table or off the founder's shoulders. We take care of immigration for all our portfolio founders. And then the next thing we realized was immigrants really kind of leave a lot of their network behind in their home countries and don't have the equivalent of a friends and family network. So how can we become that initial access point for them? And so that's the second part that we really focus on is access to customers, talent, and investors. Been doing this for six years, and it's it's just as much fun as it sounds. Yeah, and you guys are on your second fund. Uh, we're we're midway through our second fund, and we've made fifty one investments now, so half century mark crossed. And your portfolio value, I saw in your Q two update, is now up to five hundred million dollars generated. That's pretty amazing. So congratulations! Only to you guys. if I could take it to the bank. <laughs> yep <laughs> that's the joy of ventures you know but it's all but it's all unrealized fun. until it isn't that's right that that's the that's the one fun aspect of venture or the, the less fun aspect is it's it's nothing until it's realized but directionally you and i have known each other for a while and and you've seen some of these companies really go from ideas to actual real sustainable businesses where they are now at a point where they can say they are default alive I think that's the fun part of seeing these companies grow from just ideas and you know a team of two or three people to a point where they can they know that their default alive they're not dependent on capital infusion to grow or to survive and, and that's a that's a fascinating place to be in so we're really starting to see a lot of these companies come come into their own 
two that come to mind immediately are, you know, Grid Raster, which is one that you and I have talked about, you know, at length, given my background in uh, VRAR, and then also Lily AI, which we looked at when I was at Wildcat. And so, you know, yep. that thing's, you know, on cruise control. I Just- mean, they closed their enterprise customer in retail in the middle of the shutdown. Uh, Lily did. I, I, I just, yeah, the, the founders are just relentless. They took COVID-19 the way it came. But just think about, you know, where retailers are today and what they're dealing with. And here you have a software company coming to sell you an enterprise contract. But yeah, it was an idea a few years ago. And, and the journey that the, these two founders have been on, it's beyond amazing what entrepreneurs with the right spirit, the right mindset can do. I mean, that's kind of the most fun part about where you guys' thesis is, in my opinion, where it's at the seed stage, you're investing in companies when they need the help most going from being nothing to being something. And so you get to watch it really become a thing in front of your eyes in a short amount of time. And it's it's just a very rewarding job, especially because you develop such close relationships with the founders at that stage, right? So Yeah. I, I mean, you and I joked about this, I think, at the NASCAR race or somewhere. Everybody says the same thing, that they invest in people. Very few people truly invest only in people. And I, this, this is not a... You know, this is not a bad take on anybody, but really where we invest, like, you know, the two companies that you mentioned, and we can rattle through a lot more names in our portfolio, they were truly just ideas and two or three people wanting to work on those ideas when we invest. So we incorporated Lily with the founder, we incorporated PlutoShift, Gearaster with the founders. And now from there, seeing them iterate through a lot of different nuances, just not wanting to give up willingness to stay in the game i mean it's not just about their building business they're also these are also their dreams they are relentless about their pursuit of dreams and not wanting to give up and i think we we kind of just because of investing in immigrant founders we get to see a lot more of this it's not to say that if you're not an immigrant you're not relentless it's more to say you're more gritty and and more likely to overcome adversity when you are coming from a background like immigrants do. And so I can't tell you just now the portfolio is at a size that every day there are multiple updates that make us go, wow, this is a great day. It's a great place to be at. You know, we've, we've had several, uh, you know, first generation immigrants on, on the podcast already and technology has really become the new manifestation of the American dream. And, you know, you guys provide a path to achieving that for founders that otherwise wouldn't have that opportunity. So you might be giving us more credit than it's due. To be honest with you, most of the founders that we've invested in, they were going to build these companies with or without us. We played a tiny That's just because they're good founders. Correct. (laughs) They're good founders and they know what they're doing. Like, you know, I could figure out how to work on my company. Like it took time away from me. And so it's a time arbitrage that we're really solving for, for our portfolio founders. There's a level of stress that gets solved, but From a pure immigration standpoint, I think it's kind of table stakes that we're involved. The founder will not have to invest their time in learning immigration and trying to figure out how to stay in status. We can do it for them. It's not to say that if we weren't involved, they would not do it. The real part that I think where we are more successful and we're actually creating some value for our portfolio is truly in the form of customer intros, talent intros, investor intros. Because part of kind of the thesis of of your podcast, just a lot of things that are about making venture better. And and one part of venture that can be made better is making it more open to people who don't have access and to, you know, knowing one of the investors. And so 
that's the part where I think we've done we've done well in terms of introductions for our portfolio companies to potential customers and investors. But I also at the same time believe it may have taken them a little bit longer, but they would have found all the connections, the intros, the immigration, they would have solved everything. They're just people of that caliber. I mean, an easy example from that is Pratik from Pluto Shift. Um, mm-hmm. another, I mean, guy's written how many textbooks on artificial intelligence 13, and computer? No. 13. And it, yeah. Yeah. By the time like, what a bum, the right? podcast, it would be some other number. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like one of the smartest people I've ever gotten to chat with. And so like, yeah, he's just a smart cookie. And so like whatever problem he set his mind to, he was going to be fine. You know, in one company he's gone through, I think every episode of HBO Silicon Valley. Well, let's just take a step back there. HBO Silicon Valley is not a TV show. That is a documentary. <laughs> it was so real. I couldn't watch more than a few minutes of the very first episode. Honestly, I mean, it was just from my from my PTSD with Scully. I mean, I had to stop watching halfway for, through the first season. I mean, because I lived <laughs> so much of that. I mean, that was I couldn't do it. So they... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you know the thing about what you're saying about Pratik, and it applies to a lot of the other founders that we know, whether in our portfolio or not. But it's really what separates the great from the ones who, who are good but couldn't become great, one of the core tenets of that is the willingness to not give up. And Pratik is a perfect example of that. Yeah. I mean, there is a fine line between getting right to the edge and getting through getting through, and, and giving up. And that line for being a founder, especially when fundraising is hard on the way between zero and one, is, is always a rocky road and there's very little guidance. And so having good people around you is like paramount, right? So Yeah. You have to wait until everybody else can see or you know other investors can see what you see in the future right and and you continue to work on helping them see that future but it's not obvious to everybody and part of it is therefore investors with the best imagination win a lot more often than investors who are only looking for social signals but as a founder you keep trying to get people to see that future that you have, you've envisioned, but it's, it's not obvious and, and it's easy to get frustrated. It's, it's easy to want to give up and go back to your opportunity costs because all these folks have opportunity costs in the form of the great jobs they could be in, but the great ones keep at it and they keep working and eventually people see the future that they're envisioning. And, and then, you know, those, those VCs get, get behind those uh, opportunities to your team of your podcast, I, I, there's a lot of sort of social signal VCs, but there's also a great crop of VCs who we've seen getting involved in our portfolio who could who could see the future before everybody else because they just listen to the founder. They try to look at the future with the founder's eyes and they get to win a lot more deals. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a Cyan Bannister tweet. Maybe I saw maybe it came out like a month ago where she was just like the conviction of a venture fund to require a lead or another co-investor shows a lot about their character and their conviction to an idea. And I thought that that was a really apropos description about how venture capitalists either will or will not behave like lemmings and just, you know, use your intuition as a founder to see which ones are good and which ones aren't because many are just there to collect their their fees as they're stacking. So it's pretty rare to find the ones that are really invested. But the cool thing is that Venture 3.0, where you have all these young emerging managers coming out that really want to hustle to make a name for themselves, they really right. are putting the time and you're seeing less and less armchair investors and more, way more 
active people that really want to do right by their founders and the and the people that want to do be armchairs they're going to the big platforms where they can you know hide behind hide behind a brand there's so. there's no option really right because if if you're going to wait for all the social signals to fall in place then you, you, there's two ways you win deals in this industry either you win it on imagination and you know the promise of the upside or you have the brand that once there are social signals in place the brand's going to win and if you're not the imaginative kind but you still want to win why would a founder choose a much bigger brand over yours? You have to ask yourself that question. So that's where you know a lot of people can talk about the value add, and and you know now then it starts going into is the value add so different because that value add really just plays into the brand. Is it so differentiated that a founder is going to pick a fund with lesser name over you know somebody else or a partner at a fund? with lesser name. So from my vantage point, what I'm seeing is the hustlers, the newcomers are really putting in the effort to learn from the founders, to do their work behind the scenes, to to do their research and, and come prepared when they talk to founders and, and then have that sort of same entrepreneurial imagination to envision what all can go right also envision what can go wrong and where you can come in and, and intervene or help. But it's mostly about what all can go right at the at the early stages. The customer proof and you know once you have ARR, everybody can see those numbers. Those are lagging indicators. But what can you see that other investors, others that you're competing with haven't seen yet? And how can you invest in that upside is the real game. Yeah, it's like the other way that I describe describe that is there are still investors that believe that founders serve them and the best investors believe that they serve entrepreneurs. Yeah, it, it is 100% a service industry. Uh, we have two customers. We, we're a two-sided marketplace, right? The customer number one is the entrepreneur. And if the entrepreneur is happy with our services, they're going to buy the commodity that we sell, which is the money. And if we do well on that, LPs will invest in us that's our second customer. And so that service aspect is really why founders will pick you. But at the same time, you need to have the conviction for when a founder picks you to be the right partner, to, to be that partner who can build your own conviction and not be dependent on others. But you know, related to that point is the aspect that a lot of credit is paid towards VCs who are great pickers. Most of the times it's great founders are picking the VCs they're going to partner with as well. So yes, you need to be good at picking upside, but you also need to have the value proposition overall, what you bring to the table for the founder to ultimately pick you. If you're not competing and you just want to deal where nobody else was on the table, you have to ask yourself, why was I so lucky to win this? Yeah, that's a super great point. And it becomes, for you guys anyway, it becomes easier and easier the more reference points you have, right? So obviously all these things are very, very difficult at the beginning, but the farther you get along and the more people that love you and you know are your diehard fans, the easier it becomes to create that flywheel for yourself, right? So It definitely helps. Your portfolio founders are your best marketers. Every quarter over quarter, the number of deals that we win because our founders said great things about us increases and you know every smart entrepreneur is doing their research because our portfolios you know you can easily get to our portfolio founders and we're very fortunate that they say great things about us but you have to earn that referral and a, a big part of that again comes down to as as these companies that we invested in 
when we invested, we have to ask, why are they choosing us? Either it's because we could get to conviction before others could. Is it because we are investing at a price that's higher than what others are paying? Is it because we do something for for the founders that others cannot do? And it's often a different variable for a different company. And then we see that playing out in the exact same fashion as they raise their seed rounds, as they raise their series A's, it is founders are are very smart. And if you are not really bringing the right value to the table, you're only winning because there was something off that was not the, this was not the greatest investment unless you beat them, unless you beat your competition, because you could move faster than others, you could get to conviction before others, because you could imagine you have a brand, and that brand is really a function of having done well with your portfolio before. I'm actually seeing founders being extremely diligent about who they pick as their investor now. I've seen founders say no to term sheets that were higher priced, better terms, but the reputation of that particular VC wasn't great. So founders took the other one with a better reputation. These are 10-year adventures, right? I mean, the one-year anniversary of, of my company is was last Wednesday, and we're just scratching at the surface of this journey, right? And so when you think about picking your venture capitalists, it's basically the same decision as picking your co-founders, right. because they're there with you forever. I mean, you know, these guys are not going away. I mean, there's a herpes joke in there somewhere, but the... Um, <laughs> And so, you know, picking people that you really want to have along that journey with you is so important. So you mentioned the founders, you know, who pick their own VCs, but, you know, maybe, you know, just for kind of audience's perspective, would you mind sharing what you guys specifically look for and when you guys invest? For sure. Our sweet spot is pre-seed, which is typically pre-product, pre-revenue. About 50% of the times we are investing alongside incorporating the company with the founders. It's never too early for us, but it can sometimes be too late for us. So if you're already close to a seed round, may not we may not be the right lead investor. At pre-seed, we like to be the first check in. Usually it's a 100K to 400K investment. We like extremely capital efficient founders who are who are focused on proving the key hypotheses for the stage. It's not so much pre-seed is, that, is less about building the product. It's more about building conviction into your hypotheses that go into building the product. And you know, with that, you raise a seed round. So in terms of founders, we're, we're looking at you know, people with non-obvious, unique insights about the problem that they're solving. So it's, it's not always the head-on way of knocking down a wall is the, is the right way. We, we very often see their orthogonal ways of getting to um, a solution to an obvious big problem. So we really appreciate that. In terms of softer kind of attributes, this combination of curiosity and focus, which are forces that pull in opposite directions, but the right balance of both works really well in early stages. The the passion, why are you doing what you're doing? Coachability, what do you want to learn? Self-awareness. So there's a lot of these soft aspects that we pick um, through conversations with founders. And, and it's, it, you know, that goes us to inform what will this founder do to solve this problem, right? How far will they go? And that's really our conviction in a lot of cases comes from the conviction of the founder that we're the best team or the founding team. We're the best team 
to solve this problem. And if we solve it, it's a, you know, it's a big, it's a big business opportunity because it's a big problem for a lot of people. And that's usually just that is enough for us to be convinced to invest because we're investing in upside. For us, it's, it's about shots on the goal and working with the founders to then make those shots good shots. I love that. I really think that your distinction for what the goal of pre-seed capital is about, you know, using the capital to codify your thesis for what product you should build in stone is exactly right. And, you know, for where we are as a company, that's certainly what we did with the initial capital tranche we got. That's something that, you know, just given where the state of funding is just so arbitrary from a from a capital size and stage and the ambiguity around all that right now in Silicon Valley is just immense. Thank you for taking the time to to clarify that it means a lot. So when you guys think about building thesis, you know, you mentioned shots on goal. Do you guys have a specific thesis or do you guys let your founders educate you about what thesis is you guys should be spending time on? Yeah, our, our thesis is to look at the world from the founder's perspective. And, you know, we work really hard to stay unbiased when, when we are listening to founders, because the truth is our team is, is pretty smart. I'm the weakling on the, on the team, but irrespective of how smart everybody is, you can't know everything about everything. So you're going to have to listen to the founders for their unique understanding of the problem statement or or the domain in which they're operating. And because of having built that muscle to be open to new ideas and things that challenge our thinking uh, that founders bring to the table is why we've been able to really look at opportunities the way the founders see it and then appreciate it. We can do the work in the background to go validate a lot of those things with other people who are informed in the space, but we tend to not build hypotheses or preempt hypotheses because chances are they're going to be wrong. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Something that I've mentioned a lot on the podcast is this concept of quarterly trends where there's always a new quarterly trend that's hot in venture for whatever reason. And then yep. next quarter, there's something else, right? And so we haven't Favorite determined of the month. Yeah, flavor of the month. Exactly. And we haven't determined what Q3's hot button thesis will be. Uh, whether it's Q3 or Q4, democracy tech is coming. Okay, democracy tech. We're calling it here now. <laughs> <laughs> now, isn't the TikTok killer the trend? Like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we we had uh, some comments earlier in earlier episodes around pulling away from the Facebook ecosystem. How do you create digital social interactions where you're not inside of Facebook and Google's ecosystem? And so that's certainly an example. Nice article on the founder came out this morning where he was like, I was not expecting to wake up to have the number one app in the world. (laughs) Yeah, it's fascinating because, you know, most of the times when we're investing, so for example, when we invested in Plantable Foods, which is a plant-based protein company, it wasn't, the, the plant-based protein thing wasn't as popular as it became down the road. So, and we've seen this, you know, many times when we invested in Lilly, psychographic profile wasn't a phrase that hadn't been coined yet. And so by virtue of being a pre-seed investor, I, I think we have this vantage point of seeing trends become trends before they are, you know, popular trends on Twitter. And so it, it's kind of fun what you what you're saying, just kind of looking at the kind of pitches we get, which is which relates a lot to what's popular on or what was popular on Twitter two months ago. Because a lot yeah. of the VC chatter kind of prompts the entrepreneurs to do things that are trendy and and then by the time you've done so you've built something it wasn't the trend 
but the the serious entrepreneurs are you know they have the pieces of their own they understand the problem from their vantage point which comes usually from a deep understanding of either working in the in the space they are or a deep understanding of the user they're solving the problem for uh, and, and those are not usually trendy when they come up either the trend hasn't come at all or it's opposite of whatever trend is being talked about well you know it's interesting venture inherently isn't designed to invest outside of these trends right mainly because gps historically are and venture funds aren't really incentivized especially in small fund sizes to invest in problems that take a long time to come to fruition whether it be deep tech or whether it be really hard macroeconomic problems because they have to go raise follow-on funds so quickly and so you know the fact that you guys are taking that contrarian approach to that as evident by your portfolio, I commend you for doing that. And founders are better because of that. So I will challenge a part of your statement. I, th I think Please. at every stage you have some, you have VCs who are really, you know, like we've learned, like I'll say this, like we didn't come up with all this ourselves. We've learned from people who have been doing this ahead of us. And there's firms and, and VCs who we respect a lot, who, who truly really, they don't just say it for Twitter's sake, but they really believe in looking at the future, not from their own limited bias or limited knowledge base, but understanding where's the founder coming from? Why does the founder believe that this is the best approach to take? And we have seen how they've changed their opinions, you know, as they've gone through the conversations with a particular founder to the point where they believe, yeah, this is the right investment to make. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the point you made earlier, which is, are you a new entrant to the market who's you know hustling and trying to earn your stripes or are you someone who is just comfortable where you are because lots of lots of AUM and you know the right deals are going to come to us anyways the the hustlers are the are the ones that are out there and that's why you're also seeing a trend that some of the firms that have been around for a while have brought on a new generation of partners to make sure that they're not missing out on things that the the previous generation of partners could miss. And, and that's pretty smart on their part to, to be self-aware that you stay in the game long enough, you get used to a particular playbook. Yeah, that's interesting. So one of the questions that I was actually going to ask you was really around how generational planning and, you know, we spent a lot of our early conversation today actually talking about basically how you guys think about planning for the future and how like the best thing you ever did was hire, hire Maria, who... <laughs> Right. And so, you know, you guys started around the culture of having great people around you of, of different generations to be able to never have that issue inside of Unshackled. And so good on you guys. Yeah. I, I mean, a big part of this, I'll say this, you know, I'm sure you've noticed this, but there's been a lot of partnership breakups, right? Fun start. <laughs> Do I know? Partners can... <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So I, I, I think a big part of, the, the point you're, you're going towards the generational thinking is, are you, as an individual who is a GP, are you self-aware of your limitations and, and do you understand what it takes to build and run a partnership? Because the, the structure demands that you are a team player. And I know there's a growing trend of uh, solo GPs and, you know, we'll, we'll, We'll see what, what happens there. But I think 
running venture firms as partnerships is one of the best part of the structure because it brings really smart people together with contrary or differing views. And if you're not capable of learning from each other, if you're not capable of trusting and respecting each other, the partnership's not going to last. And so as we kind of think about this um, in, in the long term, you know, one thing Manan and I had to work on as we started building this was how do we work best with each other? How do we learn from each other? And then as we brought on Maria, as we think of hiring anyone on the team, the the part that we both agree on is it's not the it, it's not the accolades and what you've done in the past that we're hiring for, but we should be hiring for the upside. So because if we do that well, we're gonna attract people who will learn really fast, build their own viewpoints and and challenge us on on some of our viewpoints. And I think that's the I'll tell you the, the most fun part of our team calls is when we hear, um, you know, Faye make a point about Gen Z's who obviously I know nothing about. And then I, I go and ask my daughter, you know, how she thinks about something or when Manan brings up a point about healthcare because he knows a lot more about that than anybody else. Or, you know, Maria brings up about, you know, consumer or, or femtech, you know, Sarah with, you know, recruiting and sales tech. And it is just a fascinating way to build teams when you when you can when you can build that culture of mutual trust and respect but also hiring for upside and giving people the opportunity to grow in that culture and i don't think if i was building this alone i don't think i could have done this so that's why i i think it's a i personally think the partnership structure it demands you to to sacrifice a lot of the speed because obviously individually you can make a lot of decisions faster but it's such a strength if you can find the right people to build the firm with. And I tell you that like, that's the most exciting part of doing this is when we find individuals who want to work with us and we can learn from them. It, it, it's a great combination. You know, one thing that's come up a lot, and I think we'll hear it through the course of the tone of this conversation, is the general optimism that you have around venture in the future, which is pretty rare, honestly number one. So that's amazing. And number two is the fact that how lucky are you guys to be in a partnership that really likes each other? Partnerships are not meritocracies. They're many times not equal, especially in venture. They are purposely structured to be am ambiguous. And so the fact that that's how you perceive the culture of, of Unshackled, how uplifting is that? Let me just tell you, that's the exception, not the rule. So it's great. I'm just I'm happy to be, if it's not the rule, I'm happy to be the exception in that case. I mean, honestly, I, I'll be the first one to, to say them. If, you're, if you think you're building a generational firm, I don't think you can build that individually because you're going to be, sooner or later, you're going to get caught up in the individuality of your biases and, and therefore you're going you're gonna to miss some of the biggest opportunities that you could have been a part of if you had the, the foresight of... Uh, not being biased just by yourself. And so the the book is still out. The jury's still out on, on how, you know, solo GP firms do. I'm not saying it just cannot work. I'm just, I, I'm saying the partnership structure for us because it's working and, and because we all have learned to trust and respect each other. That's the key aspect of it because you have to know that you're all working towards the same goal. 
the the goal always is the success of the portfolio founder success of the portfolio company and only then will you make anything right the the company's going to be successful the founders are going to make a ton of money and if that happens you're going to make some everybody has to believe in it and if you can't you're you're just not going to have a platform to to respect and so you know to date even though just the two of us are the partners everybody in the firm has a say in the investing decision it's not it's not just yeah Nathan and Mana are going to decide what happens or you know what we do or what we don't everybody's got a voice and everybody's got a loud voice we encourage everyone to challenge our, our opinions because we we believe everyone who's working with us is a future venture leader that's awesome what more can you hope for right i mean that's such a cup half full view. I mean, really, it truly is. Like, I mean, there are several tier one funds that you and I could talk about right now that purposely design their hiring process as to and out still. Yeah. And so the uh, fact that, right. I mean, even this, the, I can hear, I could even hear that disappointment in your voice there. It's like, what the, it's like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, there's the industry, there's, there's positive that every positive movement will have exceptions. And in, you know, the, I think we got to celebrate the, celebrate the right moves the the good moves of the last few months or quarters have been LPs are demanding diversity among among GPs. LPs are demanding that you stand for certain value system, which is which is prompting you know more diverse GPs or partners from a gender or race or you know whatever perspective. There, there's going to be some moves that you and I are going to look at and you know scoff on because it's a check the box type of move, but that's that's okay because net we're we're moving towards positive and i'm optimistic about the future of the industry because i know most people are looking at these changes as necessary changes for the betterment of the industry not just check the box changes exactly and even if it is what some people would perceive a decision that is perceived to be a check the box look the me too movement started three years ago this time on the back of the uber uh, stories that came out and while it's improved, I think it's like tripled the amount of, of venture dollars that go to women right now. It's still like less than 10%. Right. So yeah, in three years, we've tripled the amount of funding that goes to women. But the card article that just came out a couple of weeks ago was still woefully disproportionate. It's like 90-10 men to women in equity on the cap table. I mean, there's still a long way to go here to make a more equitable system. So even something that looks like a potential check mark is really just the first step of like a long road to be able to actually have a more equitable system. So like you got to start somewhere. And the concept that's come up over and over again is that the easiest way to actually force the change is to control the flow of dollars. And so, right. you know, you, you mentioned that the LPs forcing the decision is really a great thing. And I a hundred percent agree. I think that the more LPs hold GPs accountable, the faster and better venture as an industry will become. So. I mean, just look at, you know, if you're following the right people on Twitter, you, 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 for example, or whatever social media you follow, but there's just so much empathy. There's so much, you know, female voice or, or you know, gay and lesbian VCs who are, who can openly today talk about their own identity, their own thoughts. And I, I, I just love that aspect. I mean, Maria's, because of Maria, I've learned so much about the support system to bring up more female VCs, help them through the uh, through the different levels, and and you know to partnership, all raises is, is done and is is doing 
you know, good things in the ecosystem. Maria is super involved in all of that. And so I feel optimistic because of that, that positive momentum. And you and I both know the things about momentum. It's like with a startup, right? There's, there's a long sort of trickle and then suddenly things go vertical. And so I, I think we're building towards uh, a, a good sort of more equitable industry and equitable in, in all formats, which also means great things for the founders, right? Ultimately, that LP LPs becoming you know more cognizant uh, and diligent about this, GPs becoming more cognizant and diligent, also then flows down to to founders. I mean, we have. 35 to 40% at any, any point in time in our portfolio are female-led companies. And we see this all the time. There's, it, it just takes you know female founders, the way our industry is today, it takes them longer. There are more questions on those companies as they're raising their rounds. But at the same time, it is, I, I think we're going to celebrate that the investors who are leaning in and, and are actually you know, helping these portfolio founders execute is also pretty good to watch. So I think we're headed in the right direction. We just got to keep working and not forget the the moments that that inspired the change. That's awesome. Per your comment on momentum, uh, you know, the expression I always use is five-year overnight success. Yeah. So yeah. It's, that's, the way, that's the way it works. It's like nothing, 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 nothing. And then all of a sudden, it just happens for you. Success is when you don't have to consciously think about, we need more females in, in VC. That's right. Right. Yep. That that means we've 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 gotten to a point where uh, today we, we we kind of talk about this because there isn't enough representation and success would be when we don't have to think that way. We just we just work as as we do in you know other aspects of life where we don't have to so much uh, differentiate between female and and non female or we need people of color as we sees. Great things are happening. Smart people are coming in our industry, despite the low representation. And I'm I'm amazed at how vocal they are. Again, I wish I had the confidence that that some of these folks have to be vocal about their journeys and and what they had to do to to get into the industry. But super super impressed with everything that's going on. And and you know by virtue of anybody you know listening to this, if if we can be helpful as mentors as you know, opening the doors, making the intros, we're more than happy to do that. And, you know, Maria's kind of our leader uh, in that. But Manan, I, Sarah, Faye, everybody, all of us are happy to help in any way we can we can uh, move the industry or continue to move the industry in the right direction. I mean, look, it's not lost in us that we're both, we both came into this industry having, you know, not come up through the apprenticeship model. And, you know, two brown guys. We haven't sold um, companies. We have experience working at venture-backed companies. But if we could get to a point where we're managing $30 million in assets, there's there's a lot of hope for people with non-conventional backgrounds to, to make it. Totally. And there's so many more things we can cover. I mean, I mean, frankly, like, I mean, I've, I'm as an elder millennial, Google Docs came out when I, when I was in college. That's how old I am, which for like a relative scale of all the new technology that comes out is actually makes me pretty old, right? And so, <laughs> you know, having gone through the startup journey, you know, over the last, you know, better part of a decade, it was unfathomable to be able to vocalize, you know, workforce harassment, which, you know, you know, you had to stay quiet until it came out in the press. 
There was never a culture like you'd see today where people feel confident sharing their experiences, whether it be Me Too or the like. And so it's amazing that we're that we've gotten to a point, especially in the technology industry, where we feel comfortable outing bad behavior. And I wish that existed when I was coming up. The next thing to solve in our industry is the herd mentality, which is kind of what we talked about a little bit before with, with Science Tweet. And uh, that's that's the part that kind of bugs me the most is when VCs say that they lead rounds and, and do all, you know, whatever they say, but the actual execution does not reflect that. And that hurts everybody. Most importantly, it hurts the founders because it just takes the time. And, and then, you know, you go through a bunch of meetings, it, you're taking valuable time away from founders and then you tell them, okay, come back to me when you have a lead or, or, you know, whatever, some other, you know, BS response. That, that's the, that's the next part that, need, that we need to get better on. Like, why can't we just accept if it's okay, if you're a follow, if you're a follower investor, there's nothing wrong with that, just accept it. And you're going to make life easier for yourself and for the founders. And your reputation is going to be much better for being, for being candid about it. Unfortunately, though, that requires like some real introspection on the part of the firms. And, and unfortunately, like, as you and I both know, the, I really experienced that personally as I went to go out and raise my, my first round of capital for this company. And thank you for highlighting the pain that founders go through on that journey. But you know, the only way for that to go away is for those people to get pushed out of the industry. And it's very hard to push out entrenched players in, the, in, in this industry where the time horizons is, is decades. So on the oh, but it, it's faster than that, you know. What uh, what a lot of folks don't realize is founders keep a track of things and investors who feed into the next stage investors keep a track of things. You know, because of all the tools that are available to us, it's become much easier to track all this data. And so here's how I would say the great firms do two things. They, they build pipelines on both ends of the funnel really well, right? So if you're a, if you're a seed VC, if you're, if you're, above average, good, great seed VC, you're building a funnel of funds and angels who feed deals to you. And you build a funnel of series A VCs who you feed deals to. And you you, you cultivate relationships on both ends. So because when that happens now, as, a, as pre-seed VCs, we cultivate relationships with seed, series A, series B VCs. And so we, we keep a track of how founders are being treated. And when we get feedback on, you know, VCs who don't show up on time or show up unprepared or, you know, whatever, looking at their phones the whole time, like all of that is being tracked. The next set of portfolio founders aren't getting intros to those who are going to waste time. Yeah, that's for sure. So funnels automatically start becoming more intelligent based on the reputation you're building by your actions, not just by your by your words. I love that. Is there anything else you want to cover while I still have you? This has been just really great. Thank you for the time today. Uh, uh, it's great to hear your voice. It's been a minute since we caught up. Yeah, I know it's it's been a while. We should, uh, as soon as things go back to normal, get get a drink. But yeah, the the only call to action really is if you're an entrepreneur building something, or if you know entrepreneurs who are building something, put them in touch with us sooner rather than later. It's never sure. too early for us. Yeah, man. Sounds good. You guys are always on my mind. I you know, have mad respect for you and the team and just so glad you guys are kicking ass. Just couldn't happen to better people. Thanks, Red. You're Thank you. Yeah, I'll try. Thank you for listening to another episode of Adventure Roast Podcast. This episode with Nitin was recorded on August 3rd, 2020.